0: retro hangover is supported via patreon by listeners like you we would especially like to thank our 16-bit tier subscribers lyle mccarns and ashton ruby your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated thank you
1: ears and crack some beers, you are listening to episode 54 of Retro Hangover.
0: internet and welcome back to Retro Hangover where we are supplying massive merriment only minimized and muddied by mundane mediocre makos mandating the making of more manic man babies this is episode 54 of Retro Hangover which is the first episode of 2020 i am your co-host Chris Copeline, and as always here is your host Shane can't Dick Tully Dragon Kosky.
1: You know, uh, you, you, I, people would think that maybe we talk about these intros before we start. But in this case, we, we, we didn't really. But this one, this one hits real close to home. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. To be fair, though, they do rectify this in, in the sequel, which I was particularly happy about. Tully, but, um, tully is best waifu. T- t- tully is bae. That's all I got. to That's all I got to say. Mm. but but we'll get
0: to that we will because today's episode covers the massest of effects that's not a penis joke is it i mean it's whatever you want it to be man in any case yes today we will be talking about mass effect that extremely old 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 game from the doldrums of 2007 but (laughs) (laughs) and and you may be wondering to yourself why would
1: a retro gaming podcast be talking about Mass Effect? That only came out just a few years ago, and you would be wrong. Yeah. Just like we were wrong when we were thinking about it, and we realized, goddamn, we are both super old. It's, it's been
0: 13 years. No, well, not quite 13 years, but almost 13 years. Almost. That's fucking crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Uh. In any case, before we get to the topic du jour... Yes, we there's a lot been going on. Uh, This is the first time I think we recorded after both holidays, uh, because last time we recorded it was before Christmas. So that is true. Shane, how was how has your holidays been? What have you been playing? Um, What have you been drinking? Because it's the holidays. You have to have gotten drunk on a on a podcast called Retro Hangover.
1: (laughs) Uh, well I did. I think, I think just once, because as I just said, we're, we're old and I, I, I can't do that more than once in a certain span of time or otherwise Uh I think I might just end up dying. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I tried out a, a new, uh, craft sour. That I picked up okay. at, um, and actually it was a new grocery store that we got around here. It's called Lucky's Market, which evidently, according to the people working there, because we were curious, uh, they are based out of Colorado, which is not surprising because, uh, the place looks basically like Trader Joe's. Um, it was really cool and they had a really good beer selection, Uh, and so this was a brand new one I'd never seen before, but it was like a sour with some raspberry mixed in there and, um, yeah, it was pretty good. I have really come around to the sours. I never thought I'd like them, but they've quickly become like some of my favorite kind of beers. Does that mix with the keto? Uh, no, like 0%. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Not, not at all. (laughs) <laughs> dude if, if, if the only beer that really is like keto approved if that if you could even really call it that is something like mcultra because it's got like less than three carbs like per serving
0: or whatever and it still maintains the abv because i'm sure you could go to like bud 55 or miller 64 bex premium ultra or whatever the fuck they call it i
1: mean yeah you could do that but th- then you basically are just drinking water. I mean, <laughs> Mick Ultra is like one step above that anyway, but it, yeah, to your point, at least you get the ABV uh-huh. and which is strange too, because, and I'm not sure the technicality behind it. I don't know. I haven't looked, but I have found that generally sours are a lower ABV than other types of beers. Um, like this one I was talking about was, I think 4.7, I think heresy yeah i know but there's but they're really tasty though so Mm. i'd like chick drinks too (laughs) well i don't get fun little umbrellas or other various fruity accoutrement with with this so
0: well next time i see you, i'll get you a white claw
1: yes please please do that we we are in jacksonville i mean (laughs) it's the perfect redneck drink (laughs) The claw is law, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So, so that's that's the the beer du jour mm-hmm. anyway. Um, as far as games go, I've I think because of the holiday season and all the sales going on, I think I've bought more games than I've actually played. So uh, yeah, so I got that going for me. Um, I ended up getting like three or four more games for my Switch that were on sale. I finally picked up
0: Cuphead. I started playing that. Uh, that I've played a little bit of that, uh, but don't really have it from beginning end. How is it? Uh, turns out it's hard. I've heard that. So is, yeah, so is, so is that, Contra. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that Yes, that is also true. Um, I've been doing all right with it, though, actually. Um, it, it If you take the same kind of approach to it as one would take to, I don't know, let's say Dark Souls, then... Um, you know, you kind of get into a groove of like, you know, trying that boss over and over again and getting a little bit further each time. Mm-hmm. I think I've gotten about half a dozen of the bosses done now. Some a little bit more easier than others to kind of like recognize their patterns and kind of get in that groove. But uh, but I've been enjoying it. And of course, the big thing with Cuphead is the art style, and that's awesome. The whole 1920s cartoon thing is Super cool! Oh yeah, and, it's gorgeous. Yeah, and and they did everything in that game. Like they didn't leave any detail out. Like everything in that game just screams like early cartoon era stuff, which is pretty
0: great. And it maintains um, all its integrity on the Switch. There's like no drop from maybe the Xbox X Xbox One whatever version.
1: Uh, I mean, not that I can see. I mean, that type of game being you know 2D and highly stylized, you you're not. You're not apt to notice, you know, too much fidelity difference or, or what have you, but um no, it, it looks super crisp on it. So and I haven't encountered any like frame rate issues or anything. So that's
0: good. Yeah. I might need to check it out.
1: Yeah. Uh so so there was that. And I grabbed a few other things. I actually finally picked up ukulele um because it was at a deep discount. So I haven't started playing it, but I've got it on the Switch. So there's that. Um, <laughs> where where it will stay in your backlog? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes. And of course, because I'm me, I, I've started playing the original Diablo yet again. Um, that that's just like kind of a yearly occurrence. So,
0: so that's what I got going on. But uh, but what about you? What what have you been doing over the over the holiday? Well. If we're still talking, if we're talking about drinking, and which we haven't done in a very, very long time, I should mention. I don't think we've done it. Yeah, which is strange. This. I was just, I was just kind the of the being name. facetious, but you're getting into it. Um, <laughs> I have joined the Church of Natterday Saints, uh, so oh, no. I have been drinking a lot of Natterdays, and mm-hmm. I think they're delicious. So I can't look down on you for a sour. Um, but when I'm spending thirteen dollars for an eighteen pack, and it tastes like you know. It's beer and lemonade. it's like a it's like a poor man's shandy. I, I'm down with it so
1: wait a wait a minute is this like a special kind of 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 natty that tastes like lemon? No it tastes like lemonade okay fucking whatever lemonade fine yeah. like is it like a special brand is it like some sort of shandy that like natty's doing or what yeah, it's called a natter day. Oh you weren't f- <laughs> <laughs> fuck okay. <laughs> great. I thought you were just making that shit up, man. I
0: was like, oh, Natterday Saints. That's a good pun. All right. No, no, Uh, no. I mean, it is a good, it is a good pun, but yeah, it's really called Natterdays. So I say I've just, I've joined the church of Natterday Saints. I mean, so that's kind of like me and uh, uh, Bud Light Lime. Like I don't
1: normally drink Bud Light ever. Right. But, um, but I will definitely accept a Bud Light Lime. Like it's a, it's a good summer beverage, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I'll drink it in the winter too. If I mean, if that's, you know. Well, it's fucking Florida, man. I yeah. mean, winter, it's still like 75 degrees outside. So. Yeah, it's, it's it's still disappointing because I like running in 60-degree weather. Unacceptable. Yeah, it is unacceptable. Boo, I want more 60-degree <laughs> weather. Tired of it. Yes, please. Uh, but in terms of video games – uh, I, too, have probably gotten a lot more than um, <laughs> I've been able to play. If anyone's been paying attention to mine or the retro hangover Instagram and you've seen all the hauls I've gotten recently for, for I will state this for like really good prices. Tons and tons and tons of old video games have uh, come into my collection. Uh, not to mention, I know I think I already mentioned that I got the, the, the PC engine from my dad uh, not yeah. too long ago, on the last episode. So this time. This dude goes, he's still in Japan and he asked me what I want. And so I give him this list. I'm like, don't, you don't have to get anything for me. You know, it's, it's completely unnecessary. But since you asked, you know, here's a, here's a list of crap that I'm, that Japan that it interests me, but, you know, he's a computer programmer. So I hope he finds some interest, kind of like just something going on there that maybe he might find interesting because, you know, he's into nerdy computer stuff too. Um, sure. Probably more on the more programming side. So probably completely different. So this dude sends me. <laughs> a, sh- uh, uh, a sharp Famicom twin, which, I mean, it's not, it's not completely out of the norm. I guess they're more common than I thought they were after doing a little bit of research on them, but holy cow. I mean, this thing is so cool and it doesn't even come, uh, there's, there's no mention of Nintendo at all on this system. Uh, all you, and it's not even called family computer in there I think it kind of does on the uh, uh in the katakana uh, underneath the the cartridge slot but this thing is 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 pretty rad uh for those of you who don't know the Famicom twin made by sharp not Nintendo and it's officially licensed so it's not a Famiclone, clone can play Famicom games and disc Famicom disc games all in one system uh, so it's a uh, all-in-one but I don't have any games for it yet uh, and nor do I have the proper power supply so yeah, it just looks really cool on the shelf right now. It does. Uh, so fuck yeah. my wallet. So I had so I, I bought a new power <laughs> supply. Uh, hopefully it'll get here soon. I'm trying to get some disc based games. Uh, I'm, I'm specifically, I'm looking for like Zelda 2. Oh, not so much Zelda 2, but maybe uh, Castlevania 2 and Metroid, because for the disc system, those games had save features, something that we didn't get over here in the United States. And you had to put everything in by password. So that's why I want to get those games for for the Famicom Disk System. There's a couple other games. Uh, But in terms of what I've actually been playing, not the cool shit I got, uh, I beat The Last of Us. So Rapid Fire Review is inbound, uh, is currently sitting with – Forthcoming. Yes. I actually put a little bit more effort into this one. I scripted it out so it's more clean and uh, better flowing. Instead of me rambling. So – Oh, great. Now
1: you're setting the bar higher. Like, now I now I have to actually like write scripts for mine. Is that what you're
0: saying? Uh, you know, you can do what you want, man. I'm just this is for me. So, okay. Th- th- I'll let I'll let our listeners, all two of you decide. Uh <laughs> not not for the podcast, <laughs> but for our 16-bit tier, which you can be a part of if you go to Patreon. Uh That's and right. join the 16-bit tier and you can get those exclusive reviews. But um and so the game I'm playing right now is called VI for the Sega CD. And, uh, I wouldn't recommend that to anybody except your, except me. I would recommend it to me because (laughs) it is, it is an old game. It plays like an old game, but it was like released in 1994. It's a working designs game. And, uh, so like you have a lot of witty dialogue, but in terms of how the game plays, it's only like Mm. a slight evolution past dragon quest two. And, It's it was released in like 1994 in the States, 93 in Japan. So you're not even getting as complicated or as in-depth as like Final Fantasy IV. And it's a game released like three or four years after it. So, again, great. I love it. It's very grindy. It's very, very old school, monotonous, tedious gameplay. And that's why I say I wouldn't recommend it to anyone but me. Or Working Designs fans that need to play every Working Designs games Because I know you're out there. Because if you weren't, I could be able to get Magic Knight Earth for less than $400. So, nah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's talking to all four of you out there. No, there's there's, well, there's more people who like Working Designs than four people. <laughs> like I said, that's why ah. Magic Knight Raiders is $400. And Dragon Force is over $100. And Albert Odyssey is over $100. And you guys need to stop buying that game so I can get it. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and that's all I have. But in any case, we're, we're rambling on about retro video games on a retro video game podcast. So we should be <laughs> not allowed, not allowed, because we are only going to be talking about one retro video game in particular today. And that retro okay. video game is called Mass Effect. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we will say it again. This is retro. Just think about it. This is a 13 year old game. It's very exciting. Like, I'm so excited to talk about this. And I'm very unexcited realizing that I am becoming an old man. But in the meantime, <laughs> Shane. Please give us the brief history of this fantastic game.
1: In the year 2148, explorers on Mars discovered the remains of an ancient spacefaring civilization. In the decades that followed, these mysterious artifacts revealed startling new technologies, enabling travel to the furthest stars. The basis for this incredible technology was a force that controlled the very fabric of space and time. They called it the greatest discovery in human history. The civilizations of the galaxy call it Masked Fact. Developed by Bioware of Jade Empire and Knights of the Old Republic fame and published by Microsoft Game Studios, Mass Effect is a sprawling, single-player action RPG set in a future where mankind has stumbled into becoming the newest member of the galactic community. The game is set in the Milky Way galaxy during the year 2183, where interstellar travel is possible due to mass relays, monolithic devices believed to have been constructed by a long-extinct race known as the Protheans. A conglomerate body of governments known as the Citadel Council controls much of the explored galaxy tasking itself with maintaining law and order among the diverse alien races. Players assume the role of Commander Shepard, a Special Forces graduate and first human candidate for the Special Tactics and Reconnaissance Force known as Spectre. With permission from the Citadel Council, Spectre agents are allowed to operate outside of the law, when necessary, in order to protect the galaxy. Given a mission to retrieve an unearthed Prothean artifact, Shepard and his squad board the SSV Normandy and travel to a human colony on the planet Eden Prime. After surviving a surprise attack by a sentient race of machines known as the Geth, Shepard and company quickly discover that there is much more at work than first thought. What follows is a story of treachery, uncertain alliances, and impending galactic catastrophe. Pre-production of Mass Effect began in 2004 under the supervision of Casey Hudson, who had previously acted as director for Bioware's 2003 RPG hit, Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic. Since the roughly 130 person development team already had experience working with the Xbox, the decision was made to develop the game for its successor, the Xbox 360. Leveraging a heavily modified Unreal Engine 3 as its groundwork, Mass Effect would ultimately take nearly four years to complete with the first six to eight months spent solely on deciding the game's visual aesthetic. Mass Effect was, from the beginning, envisioned as the first entry in an expansive trilogy. With this in mind, the team wanted to ensure a considerable technological basis to work off of, helping to shorten the development cycle of future sequels. Additionally, BioWare placed a priority on the player controlling a fully voiced central character, rather than the more standard blank protagonist typical of many previous titles. This, in conjunction with the myriad branching dialogue options and painstakingly detailed lore, would help to fashion an immersive universe that would be the backdrop for the team's intended trilogy. BioWare drew inspiration from many different places while crafting the atmosphere and artistic style of Mass Effect, including films such as Star Wars, Alien, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, Blade Runner, Starship Troopers, and, especially, and surprisingly, Final Fantasy The Spirits Within. To fully realize this universe they wanted to build, the team brought in Jack Wall, responsible for the Jade Empire soundtrack, as the main composer for the game's score. Provided with a clear direction from Hudson, Wall would go on to craft 110 minutes of 80s synth meets sweeping orchestral arrangements that would ultimately garner several Best Original Score awards. Mass Effect was officially announced at the X05 trade show in Amsterdam on October 4th, 2005, as an Xbox 360 exclusive. A demo would be shown at E3 in May of the following year, with several other appearances at various conventions and conferences prior to release. The game would be made available in North America on November 20th of 2007. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the game's critical reception was overwhelmingly positive, with its original Xbox 360 version's Metacritic score sitting at a lofty 91%. The general consensus from most media outlets praised the game's story, writing, and character development while identifying the combat and vehicle navigation as its weakest points. In the United States, Mass Effect debuted at number six on the NPD Group's video game sales charts for November of 2007, with sales totaling 473,000 units. Proceeding to sell over a million copies within the first three weeks of availability. The game would go on to spread far beyond just the mainline titles in the intended trilogy, spawning everything from comic books, novels, board games, action figures, and spin off mobile game titles to even a 4D amusement park ride at California's Great America in Santa Clara. And that is your brief history of Mass Effect.
0: All right, thank you Shane. That was fantastic. Oh, that's what the thing that shocked me the most is when you said specifically inspired by Final Fantasy: The Spirits Within. That that's Holy shit. What I know.
1: <laughs> when I was doing the research for this episode, I saw that and I was like, you've got to be shitting me.
0: No, so I'm going to have to source when... you on that. That is crazy. <laughs> So, I get
1: it, right? Like, I, I get it, at least from an aesthetic point of view, because if you go back and you look at the character model designs for Spirits Within, there's actually a lot of similarities yeah. in like the spacesuits and stuff like that. So, like, I get it, but also I'm glad that they didn't take any inspiration from, you know, any
0: other part of that movie i just don't see how you can take inspiration from any part of that movie like there is nothing inspiring about that movie it inspires me to turn it off that's about the extent of the inspiration (laughs) that final fantasy the spirits within provides yo
1: i saw that movie in a theater me too it was Uh, not good and it was very boring
0: (laughs) but in any case back to mass
1: effect i think that might have been the closest i ever fell asleep in a theater (laughs) jesus yeah, it wasn't good. good. But anyway, but anyway, yeah. Uh, so talking talking about something that's not boring as shit. Yeah, uh, Mass
0: Effect. Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: So Chris, yeah. Uh, tell tell me a little bit about your uh your experience with with Mass Effect.
0: Okay, so I can't remember exactly when I bought it. I think it was in two thousand eight, mid two mm-hmm. thousand eight. It like it wasn't new, but it had been out long enough for it to have a good discount as a physical copy for the three sixty. I didn't mm-hmm. know if it was out on It had to have been out on PC because like a PC version came out a month later, but I've never really had a gaming PC with current games like ever in my life, really. So um, I got it for the 360. I think I got it off eBay for like 20 bucks, less than that, maybe 15, because I was just hearing nothing but good things about it. Now, keep in mind, I'd I'd never played Knights of the Old Republic 1 or 2, never played Jade Empire and uh, my previous experience, I, I didn't even know it was a BioWare game. I didn't know that BioWare is making games – make games like uh, uh, the Forgotten Realms series on the PC, like uh, uh, Baldur's Gate and the Neverwinter Nights nice in Icewind Dale, which are games I enjoyed but didn't love. So I get this mm-hmm. game and I put it into my Xbox 360 and I start playing it. And I think I'm playing a third-person per- third shooter straight up. That's the game I think I'm about to play. And – so I go into the game with that expectation because I'm used to Gears of War. That's why I got a 360. And I... You, you and everybody else. Yes. And yeah. I uh, was very frustrated and turned it off and <laughs> thought it sucked. I thought it was a shitty game. like Because uh, I didn't understand, like, it was an RPG. I didn't understand what you were supposed to do. So a couple months later, I go back to it because I keep on hearing all these good things about it. And you know after after i figured out how the game was supposed to be played and what what the idea was behind it i absolutely fell in love with it um you know keeping my maintaining my interest throughout the entire series and eventually being probably my favorite trilogy of video games ever made uh but it took me a while i originally did not like mass effect i originally hated it because i thought it wanted to be a third-person shooter and thought it was a completely shitty third-person shooter (laughs) well i mean i I guess if you're
1: going into it with that expectation you know from like a gears of war angle then i could totally see how you'd be disappointed because like i mean at the end of the day like real talk mass effect is kind of a shitty third-person shooter
0: (laughs) no it's not kind of a (laughs)
1: shitty third-person shooter it is a shitty third-person shooter (laughs) uh but that luckily is not why why we all love it so much Thankfully, right. yes because there there's a lot of things that it's got going for it that sort of overshadow the fact that the combat is sort of garbage but um but okay mm-hmm. so so you came to it like a little bit later yeah i um i came to it a lot later actually i as we were prepping for this episode surprise, i went surprise. back and looked yeah i know <laughs> that's just how i roll man it's the shame like, it's the Shane theme it, it really is. But also, you know, I didn't, I didn't own uh, an Xbox or a PlayStation around that time at all. Like I didn't pick up a 360 until several years, like actually towards the latter quarter of the life cycle of the console. Right. So, so I wasn't there at the beginning. Um, in preparation for the episode, I went and took a look just to see because I own them. I own Mass Effect 1 and 2 on Steam. That's where I played through both of them. And according to Steam, I played it in 2016. So, so about well, a little over three years ago. Yeah, now you I probably guess. played it more recently than I have at that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I would I would figure. Yeah. It seems like you got there a, a little bit closer to when it actually came out. But yes. Um. But yeah. So 2016. So it was it was definitely a lot later. Um. And, and same sort of thing as you, right? Is I had always heard people raving about. You know Mass Effect as a series because at that point, it you know at two had at least already come out. Um, I don't remember when three was released, but twelve or um,
0: thir- uh, thousand twelve or something.
1: Okay, so then yeah, so it it had actually already been a tr- trilogy for a while.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: And so there were several people I knew that were super into it and own, you know, N7 hoodies and and all that shit. And I never got into it. And then finally, there was some Steam sale where I picked up one and two. I would have got the whole trilogy, but three is not available on Steam because of the origin store. Yay. But uh, I at least got one and two, and I played through the first one, and it took me about – at least according to Steam, it took me about 42 hours to complete that game, which seems to be about on on track because the general consensus from what I saw amongst reviews and things like that was you could get it done somewhere around 30 to 40 hours, which – you know, in terms in the in the pantheon of like character RPGs like this, surprisingly
0: that's actually kind of short. <laughs> oh, that that's that's a really short game for even what yeah. Bioware was doing.
1: Right, yeah, because I, I don't have any like exact numbers for something like Knights of the Old Republic, for example, mm-hmm. but just anecdotally, I am pretty sure I spent more than 40 hours playing through that game. If, if not at least through the the first playthrough, I mean, I that was a game, one of the very few, I might add, that I actually played through from start to finish twice just so that I could see, like, the other half of the dialogue options.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, um, like Mass Effect. Uh, I mean, you look at a game like Dragon Age Inquisition. Okay which mm-hmm. took me a, I, th- I put over 100 hours in that game. I think that was just through one character I put at least over 90 just in one character. And now if I go yeah. back if I look at Mass Effect I probably did put about, you know, 40 50 hours into it, probably more towards the 50. Um but that's just because I went to every planet, I rode around the Mako like I was joyriding. Um <laughs> I just I took my time. You know, this was this was really a time that I was I was kind of getting back into gaming. I wasn't yeah. really into it like I am now. I was, I was, I was really a casual gamer. I didn't have a retro game console in my house other than my PS2, but that wasn't retro at the time. So <clears throat> when I was playing Mass Effect, I was playing it, you know, without any facts, without any guides, and I was just kind of rolling around, going to every planet, and you know, just having a good time. So yeah, it took me a long time to play it, but even then, when you say fifty hours, it's just that's. That's the kind of experience if you're going to go out, you're going to complete something like get everything in the game. That's kind of where you want it as a, as, as an adult. That's kind of, that's perfect.
1: Oh yeah. 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 No. I, and I think, and I, I put this in our, in our show notes, but I truly believe that Mass Effect and and not necessarily just the first game, even though that's what we're focusing on for this episode, but Mm -hmm. just the trilogy in general, because much like Indiana Jones, we don't recognize that a fourth one exists. Um, right, it really is sort of like peak Bioware, because um, this is everything that Bioware was, and I'm using the past tense for a reason. Was known for, um, which is excellent storytelling, like immaculate world building. Like when I said in the in the history that it was painstakingly detailed, I am not fucking kidding. Like if if you haven't played Mass Effect, then you you know it's sort of hard to really express just how in depth all this is, but I mean, everything from side conversations that random like NPCs in, you know, the Citadel have to descriptions of items, to the codex that you have of all of the lore and backstory on all the characters, which by the way, is all fully voiced, which is insane. Yeah. The amount of voice dialogue in this game is
0: bananas. Especially for an Xbox 360 game. I think it was only one disc. Yeah, it's just one disc. Yeah, I don't I don't know how they even managed that one. But um but it really
1: is just all of it's the culmination of sort of I guess you could call like the BioWare formula because you you hadn't experienced it before you jumped into Mass Effect. Right. But this is something that they had kind of been building as as their kind of their credo going forward uh-huh. of how they you know how they construct these sprawling RPGs Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2 more so 1 than 2 <laughs> right. um and like Jade Empire like we mentioned things like that um this was really the, the refinement of everything that they had done in those previous games and i would probably argue that mass effect 2 is probably like is the 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 actual peak of I would of, agree. of their kind of formula yes but, um but Mass Effect, the first one, was definitely a huge step in that in that direction.
0: Oh, there's a lot of things in Mass Effect One I liked more, especially when it came to char- character customization and how they leveled up. I enjoyed mm-hmm. that more in and the first one than I did in the, in the subsequent entries. Um, right. But I think the other thing that's that that really lends itself to world building is you think about you know they had Knights of the Old Republic, and you can take liberties, and from what I understand, they took a little bit of liberties with the Star Wars um, license. But you can't go sure. completely hog wild with it. It still exists in a universe that you're part of. Um, so you do have to pay respect to a lot of those universal rules. So Mass Effect, they built everything from scratch. And the thing you could really appreciate, or I can really appreciate at least with with how Mass Effect did things, is that it was immersive. So even though mm-hmm. there's a lot of things in there that you, you may sound confusing – you don't get confused because they do a good job of explaining it through conversation and exposition. So you look at a game that came out not too long after that, uh, Final Fantasy 13 which took the <laughs> which took that idea of all that codec. And, but instead of explaining things naturally through conversation and exposition uh, throughout the plot, they just mention it like you know exactly everything they're talking about and sh- jam it into the codec and just hope you look for it. Mass Effect doesn't do that. As you said, like the Citadel, just the Citadel. Which you can spend an hour or two or three and just walk around the citadel and and talk to everybody and it takes that time. It feels much larger than it probably is, and it, it just it's it just encompassed me and how how detailed it was. And I think like oh my god, if the citadel is this detailed and this large. What else does this game have in store for me? Which truth be told, not much in terms of that, but. It, it but. Uh, I was, I was going to say something about that, but
1: you're like building it up to be like, oh, there's this amazing stuff is on every planet, and it's like,
0: which mm, is not true.
1: Not really. No, um, they kind of they kind of blew
0: their lore load on on the Citadel. But yeah, yeah, sure. But, but the Citadel is 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 just. It's like the peak way. It's a peak example. It's it's a masterclass on how to design a hub, because in every single subsequent Mass Effect, I just didn't get the feeling that any of their hubs were as alive as the Citadel.
1: Yeah, and I mean, even I'll I'll play Devil's Advocate for a second because even the Citadel is not without some like minor issues. Like they're the elevator saying how yeah. well that. Yeah, that's definitely one, but um you were saying how the Citadel feels bigger than it actually is. And I think that's true partially for atmospheric reasons um, as you were describing, but frankly also partially because there's actually a lot of just empty space in the Citadel for Mm. no apparent reason. There's a a lot of the uh, hallways and some of the areas like right outside of more of the main like hub spots in the Citadel. If you notice there's like a bunch of just really big Empty corridors or rooms with just nothing in them And i'm not really sure why that is so sometimes traversal over the citadel gets a little Tiresome after after that first sort of like, you know hit of like, holy shit This place is huge and amazing and look at all this cool stuff Uh Once you really get down to like the I need to go talk to this fucking guy over at the bar But it's gonna take me forever to walk there because this hallway is unnecessarily huge Uh That sometimes becomes a little problematic, but I guess that maybe that's a little nitpicky.
0: But I, I would say so. I, it's it's a little nitpicky because eventually you learn. <laughs> Chris is like fuck you. Yeah. Citadel is amazing. It's amazing. You you learn the layout because um, you do spend a lot of time there. Uh, so you do. I, it, yeah. it, it can be. It can get a little tedious at times. Um, but you are talking; it's essentially a living city, uh, and that. What I say, the elevators is my biggest gripe about the elevators. Of course, this was used to mask the loading times, and yeah, yeah. even if you install the game into your Xbox 360 or you have like a solid state drive in your PC, doesn't matter. Uh, the loading times, uh, the the elevator scenes were built in to compensate for the loading times, so it doesn't shorten your trip. So you're stuck in these elevators uh, that get you up and down the Citadel, and this I know this is nitpicky, but you're spending a good sometimes 30 seconds in this fucking elevator. And it's just like, what the fuck, man? It's just, it's dumb. (laughs) It's so dumb, um, that you can't speed it up. Like it just, I don't know why they did that, but they did it.
1: So kind of going off of talking about how this is sort of a refinement of, of Bioware's kind of signature approach to these sorts of games. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that I really appreciated is the, is how they built the sort of morality system into Mass Effect. Yeah. So it's, for the most part, it's fairly straightforward. Like if you've ever played any of Bioware's games or any games that are similar to them, you kind of get the idea, right? Like you have these branching dialogue paths where typically you'll have one line of dialogue you can choose for your character that's more of like the good one, quote, unquote. And then sometimes you'll get one that's like the bad one. And then occasionally you'll just get a neutral response. And in previous Bioware titles like Knights of the Old Republic, those things affected one another insofar as if you were trying to go for, like, let's say a pure light side playthrough on Knights of the Old Republic, you couldn't really choose uh, anything that even felt remotely dark side because that would subtract points away from like your light side total. So in a way you almost felt kind of pigeonholed to make certain choices. Um, and then you felt like really shitty when you maybe didn't interpret the dialogue correctly and picked the wrong one. And then you save scum it and go back and do it over again. Uh-huh. This one kind of helps alleviate that in that uh, making those choices they don't subtract from the other one. So the 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 analog in this to light side, dark side is Paragon and Renegade. And if you make Paragon dialogue choices, then that does not take away from whatever points you have in Renegade if you made some of those choices before and vice versa. And so that actually gives you a lot more flexibility and it feels a little bit more natural as your character too, because even if you're want to play as a generally good commander shepherd, which I did. And I think most people probably do. You are still free to make those like renegade options every once in a while. If you feel that it makes sense for your character to react that way in the given situation, and you're not going to feel like you're somehow screwing yourself, which is nice.
0: But I don't like and I understand why they did it because uh, Persona does it too and it doesn't get the criticism uh, as mm-hmm. much because, you know, it's Persona. But um, it locks out dialogue options that you cannot possibly get unless you're doing a, a second playthrough. And that's based off your Paragon and, and Renegade ratings and your Intimidate and uh, what Persuade uh, ratings yeah. within the leveling system. And that is kind of irritating um, just because it's there. So, And I, I don't like games that – I won't say I don't like games. I don't like it when games make it – say that if you want the whole story, if you want everything – if you want to do everything that we want you to do, you're going to have to replay this. And mm-hmm. I can kind of understand it as kind of a uh, protection against selling your game and ta- reselling your game uh, so more copies get out in the wild and it's harder to get one on the secondhand market. But it does, I, I think, if you, you open up to the player a lot more and you show them that they can make more choices in the beginning, it makes them want to replay it so they can show the difference of choice as opposed to just locking choices away. And they do do it.
1: And that's sort of like a, a carryover from, from the previous games that Bioware did as well. But so what would your what would your solution to that be? Just make all of the dialogue options available, but give them maybe a chance to not work if your skill isn't high enough something like that
0: yeah something similar uh you know just kind of like any D role i guess uh yeah but at the same point i mean you can have things divert in many different ways and i understand another reason they were probably not wanting to do that is because the choices you do make in mass effect one do carry over to mass effect two because True. unlike every trilogy because some trilogies go in without a plan for the entire trilogy not mentioning any trilogies what? specifically. I can't imagine what you'd be talking about. Mm-hmm. Um also taking place in space, uh like stars and wars and stuff like that. But you know, uh yeah, Mass Effect Kathleen seemed Kennedy. to Yes <laughs> Mass Effect seemed to have a plan of what it wanted to do for, for the most part, up until you get to Mass Effect three and you're not sure if they did. <laughs> Maybe that's that's they fixed yeah. that. Kind of. Eh, not really. But we'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, yeah. That, that's that's why I would say with the dialogue options, just provide more variety of what would happen after you make those, uh, That because that still does incentivize the player to go back and make different choices and see what the end result will be, as long as there's... A definitive result or even there's slight deviations in that result i think mm-hmm. that they're especially the crowd they're appealing to they would appreciate that
1: no that that makes sense and the the cool thing with the dialogue system in this game is that unlike some other titles that have tried to do a very similar thing to this over the years where you kind of realize that The choices are more of an illusion of choice than anything, where eventually you're just going to get funneled back to the same exact outcome no matter what you do, Uh Um, and it's just like one or two throwaway lines of dialogue that change in the interim. This definitely does not do that in that there are very significant things that can change depending on the options that you choose, and it's not just whether you decide to be a paragon or a renegade, but... It's also how you react to certain situations that may get characters killed or may completely change the course of you know a, a quest that you happen to be on uh-huh. that will you know affect things later on down the line. So there are some there are actual stakes to the the choices that your character will ultimately make. Unlike a certain new movie that also happens in <laughs> space that just came out recently, where n- there were no stakes and nothing changed and it was hundred percent predictable.
0: Yeah, I mean uh, the one that sticks out to me the most is is the Raknai decision uh, because mm-hmm. you know by most RPG standards, especially for traditional kind of Japanese RPG player, because uh, this was really my first Western RPG. I really took a lot of interest in. Uh, so you, you have the Rachni, Rachni are bad. You're, you're supposed to kill Rachni. And then you get the choice of whether or not you want to save them. And like, you can actually make that decision. You're like, this isn't really going to make, uh, any sort of impact. And it doesn't really make any impact for Mass Effect one, but it does make an impact in the later games. If I recall correctly, like you can't get a certain ending in Mass Effect three, unless you save the Rachni in Mass Effect 1, or at least it's easier to do so. Which is crazy, yeah. by the way. Yeah, it's but just But I mean, nuts. again,
1: like you said, that's what you get when you plan out the trilogy ahead of time. You can make those sorts of long-term you know, long decisions.
0: Right, and it's, it's amazing. But what we do need to talk about is we do mm. need to talk about combat. And yeah, oh, do, do we though? Like, planet and planet exploration. We need to talk about the gameplay, man. Like, the, the, I think I think we can agree uh, that the right. plot and the world building and, and the dialogue trees and everything like that is is fantastic. But there are some flaws that that do need okay, to be discussed.
1: okay. What what we have to touch on one thing though before we jump into the 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 swamp that is the combat, which is probably. The most important question: huh. Are you an Ashley or a Liara kind of guy? Uh, Ashley. Really? Yeah, it's not even a question. It wasn't I, even a question was, for me. I was Liara, hundred percent.
0: I don't know, man. I, I didn't I didn't want to I didn't want to choose the 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 Inklings stepmom.
1: <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just something about those head tentacles. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, maybe they could rap forward. You don't know. Yeah. Well, Shepard fucking
0: knows. Let me tell you. I'm sure, but you can also you can also be a Kaiden person too if you had a FemShep.
1: That is true. Yeah, I, I never did a FemShep playthrough, so I didn't make those decisions. But uh, but yeah, I, and the romance options in in the first game, and of course this was like a big deal at the time, and then they expanded upon it in the in the sequels for sure. But it was more or less kind of relegated to basically two choices, I think, right? Because there was like yeah one exclusive depend depending on whether you were a male or female commander shepherd and then there was the character that kind of swings both ways which is Liara. Uh-huh. So they they expanded on that in the future installments though where i think you got something like half a dozen options I, per I, per yeah. type of shepherd. But.
0: I just kind of wish if 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 you were fem shep or 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 man shep, I don't know what they just they call them? I don't know. But you could you could make a choice of all three just because well, that was
1: actually that was that was something that a lot of people kind of had an outcry about because be, for that very reason they're like this this seems a little exclusionary, don't you think? Which, if I'm not mistaken, I
0: think they sort of rectified that in the future installments. I think they did in three. I think they did in yeah. three. Yeah, the relationship options definitely did improve in in later games. But going back, oh, uh, not going back. Moving on. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. <laughs> let's just fucking let's just. just jump into this because we we, We got to
1: be remiss if we did not talk about it. So
0: so let's get the elephant out of the room right away. Like definitely the worst part of this game is the Mako. That is the worst part of this game and planet exploration in general. Um, There's no masking it. There's no hiding it. The side quests, the the non story portions of this game are mm, above average at best and laughably frustrating most of the time because of the Mako.
1: Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, and, and so we should also uh, on the the front end of this, just mention that when we're talking about side quests or things like that, and we're talking about how they're s- somewhat lackluster, we're not talking about all side quests. We're talking specifically about the planetary side quest missions, because there is a whole myriad of other side quests that you encounter throughout the game that, are not related to having to jump out into the the Mako vehicle or any of that shit. And those are fine. It's it's really the stuff where you have to do planetary exploration, which is also a little amusing to me because um leading up to us recording this episode, I took a look at some um original video reviews of this because even though this is, you know, technically retro now that it's over a decade old, it, you know, that was at least recent enough that places like IGN still have um, YouTube reviews up for it. Right. Right. So I was poking around those and I thought it was funny that a number of places actually praised the planetary side missions as being like these great exploratory options. Uh-huh. And I'm just looking at that and I was like, what the fuck are you guys smoking? Like may- maybe at the time, I don't know because again, oh. I didn't play this until 2016 but you were there a little closer than me and yeah i don't feel like they deserve that you know praise even in the beginning because each one of the planets that you go to that are not main story planets are essentially just reskins of one another and they're all almost completely
0: barren except for little outposts where the actual side quest takes place so i can tell you you know kind of playing it at the time i didn't like it specifically i didn't well i didn't hate the mako um yeah. and by the way we keep on saying mako if you don't know what mako is it's essentially uh tesla's new electronic suv uh but a uh, tank so yeah, you're with an extra set of wheels yes yeah. uh so it's a it's a tank and it drives a little bit better than you would expect a tank so i'm glad they didn't go full tank control uh a little grateful for that but um it is so, still frustrating as shit to control everything though Uh, And my biggest like I I can look past a lot of relatively a lot of it, right, because most of it you're just driving around the world. There's no consequence uh, to you screwing things up. You can always just kind of leave the planet, come back. It's frustrating. But the the worst sin that's really there is when you're having to take down the fucking worms,
1: (laughs) which, by the way, is the video footage that IGN used when they were talking about how
0: great the side missions were. So so when IGN is is talking about and or, or as you saw IGN because I haven't seen it but when we're saying that's you know a positive aspect like that is the one aspect I absolutely hated and then yeah I would I would follow up later and see what people other people were saying and I found out that other people just hated this hated this thing and. That's a funny thing about, you know, especially game reviewers, professional game reviewers, and I'm not trying to do a hit piece on them. This isn't the forum for that. Well, it kind of is the forum, but I'm not going to make it one, is that they'll they'll say something about a game before it comes out, and the reviewer themselves may like it. So IGN might come out and say, oh, this is a good aspect of the game. And then leading into another game, they'll say, you know, people are really looking forward to seeing how they're going to correct those Mako issues. And you're like, huh? OK. Um, <laughs> right. You're right, but uh, you were wrong. So uh, <laughs> let's see how this goes. But that the thing that really kind of got to me is when you're going around the planet and is this – they all kind of bleed together. This isn't the one where you can find orbs and stuff like that throughout the planet, is it? I think it is. Uh, Yeah, I think okay. it is, yes. So you'll find things throughout the planet. and They're all kind of hidden and it's hard to get to. And then you'll find these depots. And these depots are pretty much like the same. These structures are the same on every single planet. They're very nondescript. So, oh, I- again, I wasn't using a real f- – I wasn't really using a FAC. I wasn't using a walkthrough. I was just kind of exploring, bebopping around. And every single time I go to these planets, I just could walk into a building and there'd be bad guys to kill. And it's like, oh, okay, this is just a building for me to kill bad guys. Not realizing that they are actually parts of the plot. I didn't I just thought they were just, you know, there's they're just outposts and I just got to kill things. And I didn't know they were important. I had eh, whatever kill things, get new items, upgrade my guys and roll the fuck out. Just cool little things on the planet. And no, these places actually contribute to the world building. They're just built like something out of Fortnite with plywood. And you're expected to take it seriously, which is very strange and alienating. Well,
1: it is strange. You're right, because as you were saying before with something like the Citadel and, you know, any of the other places that the, the main through line of the story is going to bring you to, there's this sort of signature level of care and detail that went into it, that Bioware was known for. And then you get these side planetary missions, which at the outset sounded really cool. Like when I started playing Mass Effect, I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna be able to bomb around on this planet in a sweet ass like tank thing and explore like a planet and find some cool shit like that's awesome, but they they just feel copy pasted. Uh-huh. I, I mean, it, and, and you weren't kidding, and we're not being hyperbolic when we say that they are quite literally exact copies. I mean, even you could do a side by side comparison of even the the cutscenes of when the Mako drops from the the Normandy onto the planets, uh-huh. and it's basically identical with the exception of maybe some atmospheric changes. Like one might be a snow planet, and then the other one is red and sort of scary, but like yeah. they're all the same, really. And that's kind of a bummer, um, because the Mako missions get super tedious really quickly. And then, if uh-huh. you're anything like myself or Chris. Where we want to see everything and do everything and complete all of the objectives that are available in the game, you are gonna have to spend a lot of time driving aimlessly around barren planets.
0: Yeah, and it's like you said, it's it's entirely cons- consistent. The environment is one hundred percent consistent amongst the planets. So there's you don't get like there's no oceans on these things. It's just rock if it's right. rock or if it's just grass, if it's grass,
1: like they, they almost feel like an afterthought, like the team put so much time into like the main plot areas that right. they wanted to have this other stuff, but they just didn't have the bandwidth to flesh them out or something.
0: Maybe the time, the budget. Cause I mean, if you're starting in 2004 and you're, you're, you wrapped it up in 2007, I mean, that's, especially as you get later and later into game development, that's, at some point they're going to be like, Hey, we need a return on this investment. So that may have been it. They ran out of money, ran out of time. Um, right. You don't want to end up like star citizen or anything. So, <laughs> or Duke Nukem forever. Uh, uh,
1: so, yeah. That's probably a better example right now, but yeah, yeah.
0: like you, you got to stop at some point. And, and I think that, that's kind of what they sacrificed is hey we're going to sacrifice these optional things which to their credit it's optional you don't have to do them but they do add a lot to the world building and to the lore and kind of kind of what's going on throughout the universe and the inner political opinions of everything that's that's really going on even though it doesn't really have anything on the main story it just makes the game more immersive
1: and so so we've been talking a lot about specifically the Mako missions, but there's right. also the other piece of it, which is just the third person combat system in the game. So there were some things that I kind of noted about how I felt about it when I had played through it. And I think this is some shared sentiment among most people. Uh-huh. First of all, you brought it up right away. This combat system is 100% a product of the time period in which this game came out. Because if, if you were around at this time and you were old enough to sort of be cognizant of, you know, sort of the trends that are going on in gaming, third person cover shooters were the goddamn hotness in like the early to mid two (laughs) thousands.
0: They were everything.
1: Single game wanted to be gears of war. And this is no exception in that they tried to do that But also split the difference because, hey, remember, we're a Bioware game and so we need to have some RPG elements. Which is not entirely terrible, but also ended up just feeling a little disjointed. So the combat itself, I thought, felt super janky. Like you never were 100% sure whether you were making contact with your firearms Part of the reason being is that there are no reaction animations from the enemies you're shooting. So, like, in a lot of games like Gears of War or some of the other ones that came later, you get that visual feedback, which is what makes combat feel good, or at least part of it, um, where you shoot an enemy and they will recoil when they get hit or something. So, you can see that you're actually doing something. In Mass Effect, you don't get that. Um, Like, enemies don't even – they don't even break their stride coming towards you and you're pumping like a full mag into them and it just doesn't make a difference. The only thing you can see to tell you that you're actually making progress is that their health bar is going down. Right. That's it. So that feels a little disjointed anyway. And even the cover system itself in some ways, not entirely, but in some ways feels a little superfluous just because... There are several enemy types in this game that are programmed to just close the gap with you as quickly as possible. They're like 28 days later zombies. <laughs> and so if that happens, then your cover is useless. Are you so saying about there the husks? Are, yes, husks ah. especially, yes. And it's not exclusive to them, but it is something that happens quite often as you're playing through to where you kind of feel as though trying to leverage the cover is almost a waste of time yeah and the last thing on my little tirade before before I let Chris talk a little bit about it, yeah, is just the boss battles. So they have a number of boss battles throughout the game, and they don't ever really feel particularly like notable. Most of them sort of just are the same kind of enemy that you would be normally encountering or just some humanoid character, but they just have more health. And granted, there are some additional mechanics that get factored into some of the boss battles. But by and large, they just really become HP sponges. And that's not terribly interesting. Now, I know Chris noted in our show notes here that – and I forgot about this actually. But the final boss encounter – and hey, spoilers for like a 12-year-old game. But it is actually possible to negotiate the final boss into just killing himself.
0: <laughs> Even though you still need to fight afterwards. fights fight something. Right. Yeah.
1: Right but even that really they're just they're kind of a little bit of a of a letdown which is a little bit of a bummer but again the combat you're not really coming to mass effect for the combat or if you are then you probably stopped playing way before you got to this point right so um but anyway that that's that's my tirade so how, how did you feel about the the combat in this
0: well, like I, like I said, and I think you put it perfectly, and that's the reason I put down the game initially, is because I went into this game thinking it was going to be Gears of War with RPG elements. But I realized yeah. it was an RPG with Gears of War elements. So <laughs> if if you play it, if you go into it knowing that it's an RPG, and you realize that when you pause, the pausing of combat to set up the way your team tactically acts is how you're supposed to play it. You're supposed to play it with the mentality of a turn-based RPG, you just right. have to stop. It's just the active time battle if you're a Final Fantasy fan never stops. It's always on active. But you can pause it and you can you can command it. And if you have that mentality going into it and you that's the kind of game you like, combat eventually becomes enjoyable. So eventually like I'm not going to sit here and say I love the gunplay. The gunplay was absolute shit. <laughs> but in terms of some of the things you could do, and it was—it's not perfect, but it's definitely enjoyable. When, especially if you're playing like as a Vanguard or a Sentinel or an Engineer, or you—you you take long. Uh, I think Liara is the one that has a lot of magical skills, and you—you you use those and you apply them the way you can. Like you lift up an enemy through uh, one of your you know telekinetic abilities, and then you just start waylaying on it with bullets. You and you take advantage of those abilities. Combat does become fun. But again, if you sure. go into it and you're thinking I'm going to, you know, uh, Phoenix the shit out of this, Mark Phoenix it, yeah, you're <laughs> you're going to put that game down with the hotness, right? Uh, because that's oh, yeah. that's not what this game is. But I think a lot of people underst- – enough people understood that. But, <clears throat> of course, EA thought that, you know, they needed to approve upon it with Mass Effect 2 and they did. So a lot of that did get rectified and over – eventually became over simplified with Mass Effect 3. And that's – and I think a lot of people did miss, at least initially, what you could do in Mass Effect 1's combat. They learned to get over it. But I, well, I, I, I don't think it's as bad as we – as as a lot of people say it is as long as you don't look at it as an actual shooter. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I, yeah. And I think a lot of that does just come from first impressions. I mean that's, that's hard to get away from. You know, like I, right. I have – I've had games where I get a terrible first impression. I put it down for maybe years – And then I come back around to it and realize, like, oh, shit, this is actually a decent game. But I think if you had gone into this originally coming from something like Jade Empire or Knights of the Old Republic. Or Baldur's Gate. Or, well, especially, yeah, Baldur's Gate or Icewind Dale or anything like that. Then I think you probably at least had an idea of what to expect in that you weren't so put off uh, or blindsided by the inclusion of, you know, the more – tactical approach to the combat. Because, you know, hindsight being what it is, I can see what Bioware was trying to accomplish with this. They wanted to take the pure turn-based combat that you saw in Knights of the Republic and make it more action-oriented while still keeping some of that turn-based, you know, sort of pedigree. Which, if you know that's what it is going into it, it's not that bad. I mean... To your point, the the gunplay is still god-awful. But if you are playing to the strengths of the combat system, and, and that's something that I had noted too that I kind of figured out during my playthrough is that I, <laughs> perhaps, you know, mistakenly, I went the soldier route with Shepard. So he was not like 100% guns. Not the best.
0: No,
1: not the best. But luckily, the the character building system is so nuanced in the game um, as with a lot of their previous titles that you can build out your, your team members to kind of fill those gaps for you. So, so, and that's exactly what I did. So even though my character was very much like I'm super awesome at sniping dudes um, you know, I could make my other two team members, I would pick one and I would focus them on being, you know, the, the skill user, like you said, where they'll, you know, levitate someone or something like that, or create a shield wall or something to that effect. And then the other one would focus more on the tech skills so that I could have somebody to unlock doors and, you know, deactivate turrets and shit like that. And so when you really dive into that system the combat becomes a lot more enjoyable, but uh-huh. if you're coming at it from your entry vector and probably a lot of other peoples, where they're just expecting a squad-based shooter, you're gonna have a bad time.
0: Right, and that's that's the thing. I mean, is it's it's much more fun having Rex in my party than being Rex. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In retrospect, I should not have picked Soldier, but right. Speaking of party members, what what's who's your favorite? Who are your favorite party members?
1: Oh, um, you know, it's funny, I would say that's a tough one, and, and it can be because and that's just a credit to Bioware's writing of the characters because you get right. really invested in all of them. But I tended to run a lot with probably Garrus and Liara, I think. That makes um, sense. Those, those were my two, my two main characters. And, and it's funny too, because, you know, we were talking about the, the romance options and whatnot, Uh the, and it's a testament to how well they fleshed out these characters because I recall purposefully choosing to bring Liara with me on almost every single mission for most of the game, unless I had a really fucking good reason not to, (laughs) because I was so invested as Shepard in like, the relationship that those two were building that i like i i as a player felt like guilty for not bringing her along
0: <laughs> you're trying to lay on that mac man i know i know i'm like yeah no baby come on then, to, you with me. trying to me, wo- you know? it, woo him yeah, yeah check woo out that my shit. soldier skills look at me snap yeah. these dudes i'm gonna be a squidling and squirt that ink baby <laughs> <laughs> but
1: uh, but you know, like I said, it, it definitely is a testament to how well they wrote. You know, all the characters that you have in your on your ship. Um, because I I wanted to bring those certain characters with me because of the relationships that were being created between them and Commander Shepard. Uh-huh. Now, granted, there were some occasions where I would swap them out, um, where certain planets or areas. You know, uh you would benefit from bringing a certain team member with you. But by and large, yeah, I think I was mostly Liara and Garrus. What about you? Who who were your two
0: go-tos? Rex and Tali. Okay. Okay. And I just I, I love Tali. Like I, I don't know why. I don't know why that is. Like when I say Tali is best waifu, she is definitely <laughs> my favorite favorite companion in probably the entire series. Uh, I I definitely came around
1: to yeah I came around to team team Tali in in Mass Effect 2 for sure
0: yeah I love her skill set I love her abilities and I can't remember who I played but it usually balanced out with her Mm -hmm. uh and and I I think it wasn't because she's an engineer if I remember correctly and uh Liara is an adept so I Mm -hmm. I think I was the the combination of the two of those whatever that was so like I would alternate between them because you know Liara had the, the the pure adept abilities and uh, Tali had the pure engineered abilities, which was complemented my loadout. And then, of course, Rex was the soldier and I could just have him Rex shit, um, which right. is an appropriate name. But I didn't like Caden or Caden or Ashley at all. Like they were never in my party, even though that was my romance option. I did not care for the humans. Maybe that's just because I'm a high fantasy dork and I don't care about putting humans in my actual party. So <laughs> that's I, I, possible. Yeah, like even when I'm deep when I play d and I'm never a human. I'm always like, I'm, I'm a tiefling because they're very strange looking and odd. So, like, I have no time for humans in my party. Yeah, I mean, Get like, out. I, I, I end up playing a variant
1: human a lot, but that's just because I'm a filthy min-maxer. But, you know. Yeah.
0: It is what that's, it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Uh, so briefly, uh, briefly, briefly, uh, graphically, mm. uh, do you think this game still holds up? Because I actually think it does. I actually think it, It. I mean, it could tell us dated, but I think it holds up better than Andromeda. Well, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, if that's the bar you're setting, then fucking yes. But uh, I, no, it, I, I still think it does. I mean looking at it now it it is 100% a early to mid 2000s ass looking game for sure but yeah um the thing that it's got going for it that you know andromeda for example uh 100% does fucking not is the facial capture yes the the facial expressions that these characters can emote in this game are amazing and it's part of what makes the the dialogue and the, the conversation, um, so engaging or at least more engaging because quick side tangent on that. If you're not super into watching two characters kind of just stand and have the camera go back and forth over their shoulders while they talk for like 10 minutes, this might not be the game for you. Um, yeah. but then again, I might also say that you probably
0: don't play a lot of other Bioware games either. Cause that's not something new. But you can't compl- if you complain about that, I don't want to hear your opinion on Metal Gear Solid if it's favorable. Just saying. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um but yeah, no, it, it those those very extended dialogue sections probably would have been unbearable if you didn't have really good uh, you know, facial capture going on, which uh-huh. you know, maybe part of the reason that Andromeda sucked as much as it did, but but no, I, I think it still holds up pretty well.
0: And you have to think, too, I mean, this is still in an era where where patching everything day one or releasing Game of Bugs was still somewhat of a foreign concept. Sure. Uh, even, I mean, this was, I mean, everyone was still kind of doing this, even the Ac- Activisions and Ubisofts of the world were even EA, who eventually bought out um, mm-hmm. uh, the Mass Effect franchise, as we all know. Uh, so Mass Effect was still coming to market pretty much wholly intact. You know, it wasn't, you couldn't release a buggy and broken game like that back in back in two thousand seven, and not expect an, an incredible backfire. So sure, yeah. when you go into it, even if today, like let's say that you uh, know the three sixty servers go offline, you have a physical copy of Mass Effect, uh, you're not going to experience something that's that might be totally game breaking. And you do say that like the biggest problem with Andromeda is is the facial capture and, and the graphical glitches and. Everything that just makes the game absolutely laughable. You didn't have that in Mass Effect. You didn't have it.
1: Which makes, yeah, it
0: does help it hold up. They had to get it right, and they had to get it right the first time.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And and they definitely did. And, and, you know, there was some follow-up content in the form of DLC for this game, but we didn't mention it, frankly, because it's sort of forgettable. Um, I never played it. Yeah, as great as the game itself is, the two DLC packs that they had for it were kind of f- forgotten by most people because they're basically pointless they, they didn't really add anything of value to the story or the game um i mean to the point where the second and final ex- dlc that they had released for it was literally just like a fight club arena <laughs> so i'm not entirely sure what they were thinking with that one but um but that's why we're not going to mention them here but but no i i still think it definitely holds up today and th- the trilogy itself is available as one sort of package deal, um, that you can pick up for, mm, well, most semi-modern systems. I was actually looking around just for the hell of it earlier today. And, um, I, unless it's something downloadable on like PlayStation network or Xbox live, which I did not check.
0: I don't think it is.
1: The physical versions of the trilogy collection are still only available for last gen consoles. So like, PS3 and, and stuff like that. But um, you can also pick it up on PC. You can get all three of them, um, which is what I did. So I, if it wasn't evident by our discussion thus far, I would 100% uh, recommend still picking up Mass Effect and playing it, even with some of its you know lackluster elements like the kind of janky combat and the Mako stuff that you could kind of do without the story and the universe that Bioware built with this game and the subsequent sequels is something that you would be doing yourself a disservice to not experience.
0: And, and even if Mass Effect 1 isn't your game, and I can't blame you if you're more into the action-y kind of type of game, um, mm-hmm. in, in which case this game may not hold up as well, Play sure. through. Do yourself a favor and play through it, so everything you do has a bigger impact in Mass Effect Two, because that yes. is that is that that is just a gem of a game, and it also turns ten this year.
1: <laughs> so what we're saying is, expect a Mass Effect Two episode sometime in the future.
0: <laughs> Either it came out on th- uh, ten or nine, I can't remember, but it, it came out. It is also over ten years old. But yeah, um, yeah. If, if this isn't your type of game, Mass Effect Two it probably will do a better job of grabbing your attention. All right. Well, I think uh, we could probably go on and on and we could probably talk about this game probably for another hour and a half, but uh, we don't want to do that for the sake of Shane's editing madness. So (laughs) I think this is about a good time Uh, and and to wrap this up. And when I say that, I'm just going to say the soundtrack in this game is also amazing, probably amongst the best ambient soundtracks ever made uh but i don't think that you really need to say much beyond that just go listen to it uh shane do you have any interjections on that
1: not really except that in recent years i've gotten more of an appreciation for uh synth wave stuff and because that was incorporated into into this soundtrack um i would highly recommend it i'm sure you can go check it out on on youtube or something um yes it's worth a listen i mean Hell, if for
0: nothing else, it probably works as really great like work or study background music. Just go to the planet select screen or universe select screen. You will you'll you'll just get a taste of how excellent that is if you haven't yes. already played this game. But um, in any case, you can find us all over the interwebs. Shane, do you okay. mind telling us where we can be found? Sure. Uh, if you would like to
1: uh, track us down on the internet, you can do that a number of ways um, best vectors to find us usually Facebook or Instagram. Um, we're on there, uh, more often than not. We are also on Twitter. You can also send us an email if you'd like to do that. Uh, you can reach us, uh, at podcast at retrohangover.com. We also, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, have our Patreon going. So if you like what we're doing here and you'd like to support us, um, we would, of course, love that. And uh, you can check that out by going over to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, slash RH Patron. Uh, and we have our merch store open, as always. So if you want to grab some sweet T-shirts or coffee mugs or stickers, um, you can head on over to bit.ly slash RHP merch. And last, but I believe not least, uh, because I always forget to mention it in the the previous episodes, we do have our stream Sundays, uh, on Twitch. So Chris and I usually alternate, uh, as we can, but typically we are on 9 PM Eastern standard time on Sundays and we will be playing um, either a thematically appropriate retro game or something having to do with one of our more recent episodes. Um, so please feel free to stop on by and hang out and chat with us and tell uh, either myself or Chris how terrible we are at yes. video games. Because thank
0: I'm you, there. Solemn, By the way, for for being there <laughs>
1: for yes. several
0: weeks, you have made it. You have made it far more entertaining. Uh, Solemn is someone on one of our. Uh, one of my discord servers that uh, I talk to pretty regularly and he swung by and he's been stopping by. So thank you. Just want to put that shout out for you.
1: Yeah. And if you don't, uh, you know, if you're not able to catch us on Sundays uh, live for whatever reason, then all of those recordings also end up on our YouTube channel uh, as well as video versions of all these episodes. So just search retro hangover on YouTube and you will find us there as well. All right.
0: That's, I think that's about it.
1: Shane, we're anything? I think so. No, I think that about covers it. Great. So uh,
0: in that case, until next time. Play with your inkling on your head joysticks.